Good evening and welcome back. We are here in March, March 7th, but still the beginning of March. Uh, and we are starting a new series called The End of the Beginning. And every year when, or every time that I talk about the, the crucifixion, the resurrection, when we get near Easter time, I always have two things in mind. Well, several, but two that I'm going to talk about. Number one, I'm thinking, well, how can I, I tell this in a way that I haven't every year? Like, how can I take the importance, the truth, the, the, the love of this story and really get it across in hopefully a new way? So I've done, tried to do that in different ways. And the other is I always will sit there uh, just looking at the scriptures for the different gospels and, and the tales, the stories, the, the accounts of Jesus being arrested and Jesus being beaten and going through the trials and going through all of these things as he goes through the crucifixion. And I always will be like, okay, well, you know, it's a four-week series, and so I'll do this and this, and I have to end with the resurrection, and I have to do this. And it can be very hard because there's so much that is important and good in this story, obviously, because this is where our faith comes from. This is the beginning of our faith. Uh, now, obviously, within the beginning, God created everything, but this was where Jesus died for us, where our Christian faith truly was born. And so what I'm going to do this year, and I'm going to start with this message called Broken Trust, what I'm going to do this year is take all of March, uh, all four weeks, just for the road from his arrest through the cross, and then we'll do Easter and resurrection in April. But so I'm going to stretch it out just a little bit more to really hit on these days. Because I think over time, and this is true with the Christmas story and true with a lot of things that we talk about, and I've brought this up, other people have, uh, the more we hear something, the more we read something, and you know, the, the story of the crucifixion, we've probably read and heard more than just about anything else, if not the birth. And the more we do that, the more it becomes a story. The more it's like, well, you know, this is something we share, and it's important, and I love it, and I took communion, and, and, and you know, I went to church on Easter, and it was emotional. But it's just a story when we treat it like that. However, this is, again, the birth of our faith. This is the death and the things that he went through. Before that, it wasn't just on the cross that he died. He was beaten. He was betrayed. He was hurt. Uh, he, he was just treated like garbage. And he did that for us, and he carried it for us. And it's such an amazing thing. So I want to start with Matthew 26, 36 through 56. And so this is in Gethsemane. Then Jesus went with them to the olive grove called Gethsemane, and he said, sit here while I go over there and pray. He took Peter and Zebedee's two sons, James and John, and he became anguished and distressed. He told them, my soul is crushed with grief to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. He went on a little farther and bowed with his face to the ground, saying, praying, my father, if it is possible, let this cup of suffering be taken away from me. Yet, I want your will to be done, not mine. Uh, when the very first time I heard these words, now without any context, just reading these words, I was like, wow. Jesus was praying for this to not happen, but that's not what he was doing. You know, you gain an understanding, you gain in knowledge, you gain in wisdom, hopefully over life. What he's saying is not, you know, I'm, I'm scared. He's not saying that. I'm sure that he did feel that because he felt human emotions, but love overpowered everything. But what he's saying is, I love these people. I love healing them and teaching them and touching them. I am going to die for them. I want to die for them. This is the plan, and I love this, and it's perfect. But God, if only there were another way that I could stay here with them. 
And it's not saying that he doesn't want to do the plan. Again, it's not saying that, that it's not important, not perfect. It's not saying any of that. He was never going to change his mind. It's saying, I love these disciples. I even love the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the Romans because I get to be here among the creation. I get to be here feeling what they feel and showing them just this amazing human relationship. And that's what Christianity is about. It's about relationship. It's not about numbers and it's not about conversions and it's not about any of that. It's about building that relationship with each individual person. And that's what Jesus was getting to do. And so what he says is important. A bunch of things are important right here. First, he's praying. Now, uh, we always have a call to prayer. And prayer is a big part of the Christian faith, of many faiths. And yet, sometimes we forget. Or sometimes we allow things to shift our focus and we don't pray. But this is Jesus. This is Jesus who is God. This is Jesus part of the Trinity. This is Jesus holy, perfect, and yet he's praying. Now, if he is praying, what does that say for us who are not perfect, who, who are not God, who are just people? It says we need to pray. But he also says, you know, hey, I feel sad, being honest, telling the truth, uh, if there was another way. But, so he says what he wants, he says his hope, but your will is what matters. Let your will be done, your perfect will. And that's, he's showing us, even though this isn't the Lord's prayer, he's showing us in this prayer how to pray. How to pray every single day, how to pray with our lives, how to pray with our actions, with our witness. What we want matters, but not nearly as much as God's will. And that's what this Easter season is about. That's what Lent is about. Uh, I grew up in a church. I came from the Nazarene faith. And so most of my life, they don't really do Lent or uh, like some Good Friday service, but they don't really do Lent. So like coming to this church was the first time I really had that. I understood it somewhat. But it's the first time I really had that where it's like, hey, you know, this is what we do. And it's a big part of this. And we have a series and, and it's cool. Uh, but it's about sacrificing something. Because in those 40 days, like Jesus sacrificed everything. And so he is praying that way that we are supposed to live. What we want, sure. Tell him. Do our best to, to work, to uh, get good grades, to get good jobs, to have the relationships that we want, to have the stuff that we want, but nothing overrides God's will. And like right at the start, it's such an amazing part to this. And, and it says, he says to the disciples, to Peter, James, and John, who were essentially the leaders of the disciples under him. He says, I'm crushed to the point of death. And he'd talked over time about what was coming and he'd tried to prepare them, you know, from reading the stories ahead of this, that they didn't always believe, they believed him, but they didn't act like they believed him because they're like, you're perfect, you, you, you're not going to die. And you know the famous scene with Peter where he's like, hey, Satan. But he says, I am just crushed. I am crushed and I need to go pray, which is, again, an example. Now we pick up. Then he returned to the disciples and found them asleep. He said to Peter, couldn't you watch with me even one hour? Keep watch and pray so that you will not give in to temptation. For the spirit is willing, but the body is weak. Then Jesus left the second time and prayed, my father, if this cup cannot be taken away unless I drink it, your will be done. When he returned to them again, he found them sleeping for they couldn't keep their eyes open. 
So he went to pray a third time, saying the same things again. Then he came to the disciples and said, Go ahead and sleep. Have your rest. But look, the time has come. The Son of Man is betrayed at the ha- into the hands of sinners. Up, let's be going. Look, my betrayer is here. This is the point where if you're reading this, if you're hearing this for the first time, which you're not, but let's say you are, you're like, oh, his betrayer is here. The betrayal has happened. I'm not talking about Judas who did betray him. I'm talking about imagine if something is just vital to you. Something is so important to you. And so you're with your, your loved one, your family member, your parents, your kid, your wife, your husband, your, your best friend, somebody that matters to you and that you know you matter to them. And you say, hey, I got to take care of this. I need you to keep watch, okay? And I'm not saying anything bad. Like if you're robbing a bank, don't do that. But I'm saying if it's like, okay, I have this one thing I need to do, but I need you to, to watch this pie so that it doesn't burn. It's not a big deal, but you know, it's kind of important. I guess. I'll take the pie. But, and you're like, I just need you to watch for a second. I need to run out. And then you go out and you come back and they're asleep. And it's been like five minutes, 10 minutes. Now, regardless of what time it is, if it's one in the morning, if it's four in the afternoon, regardless, you're gonna be like, dude, I just needed you to watch this for a second. The pie burned, the house burned down. Everything's awful now. Hopefully that's an extreme example. And that's a minor thing. Now put yourself in Jesus' situation right here. He has walked with these people for three years. He has brought them out of a life of sin. He has brought them out of a life of mediocrity, uh, a failure, and said, hey, I'm going to give you something to do. I'm going to teach you how to fish for men. I'm going to, to show you a better way. I'm going to help you have a better life. And all you have to do is follow me. And he tells these, and it's not all of them. Now, all of them mattered and did so much for the church and for his message. But it's the, the three at the top. The three that we think of first when we think of the disciples. I keep moving this around, but that's on me. Uh, and he, he goes to them. Peter, who is the rock of the church. John, who is the disciple that Jesus loved. And James, who was also there. And, and he goes to them. And he says... Guys, I feel awful. This is Jesus, who very rarely talked about how he felt. You know, he wasn't, he wasn't a complainer. He would tell the truth. He would talk about other people. If Peter, James, and John came to talk to him, he would listen. And so he says, hey, I feel awful. I feel just broken. I, I need you to watch for me while I pray. Fair ask. He's not asking them to do anything crazy. He's not asking them to go beyond their comfort zone. He's not asking them to to fight. He's asking them to stand there and just watch. And they fall asleep. And maybe they were really tired. They walked everywhere. They didn't have cars. They didn't have chariots. They just walked everywhere. Chariots existed, but not for them. And yet they fell asleep. And he comes back and he sees that. Most of us, in the pie example or in harsher examples, most of us would start yelling. You'd be like, how could you do this? You're such an idiot. You can't even do this one thing. I do everything for you. And you can't even do this one thing. You can't even help me out once. You can't even clean that. You can't even do that. You can't even listen, blah, blah, blah. We all yell. Jesus, though came back and said, guys, 
I asked you to stay awake, not even for me, but for you. Because I know what's coming, and there are going to be temptations, and there are going to be troubles, and there are going to be struggles. And I want you to pray and to be awake and to be here with me. Because your time with me is running short. And he says it calmly, and he says it lovingly, and he says it for them, because that's what his life was about. For them, for us. And he says, okay. Again, not yelling, not punishing. Again, I've said again a hundred times, but you know, also, many of us would be like, just get out of here. I'm done with you. What are you saying? Okay, let's try this again. And he goes back to pray. And he's just praying. And, and there are parts of the scripture where it says that he's praying so hard that he bl- cries blood or tears of blood come out of his eyes. Because he is wrecked. Now, part of it, yes, is because he loves us so much that he wants to be with us. Part of it is, yes, he knows this is going to hurt and he knows it's going to, to be hard. But he has never sinned, ever, perfect, holy, without sin. And he knows that he's going to take our sins onto him when he dies. He's being punished for something he's never done and it's going to hurt in a lot of different ways. I've heard it said, and I don't know how theological it is, that there is that momentary where, where he takes the sin on, that, that he's separated from God. And, and I don't understand it all, and I don't know that I, that's true. I just know that it's painful, and it's hard, and it's hurtful, and it's something that he does not deserve. And so he's hurting, and he's carrying our sins with him. He's carrying our hopes with him. He's carrying our dreams with him. He's carrying worry about what the disciples are going to go through because he doesn't want them to have to go through it, but he knows that they have to because he wants the church to start. And he's carrying all of that. And all he wants from them is to stay awake. Momentarily, stay awake. Pray. Read your Bible. Go to church. Do this one thing for me. I've given you everything. Do this one thing. And again, when they fail, he doesn't yell at them. He doesn't send them away. He doesn't call in the next... Backups. It's not like the all-star game, which shouldn't be happening, where somebody gets hurt or somebody gets their hair cut by a barber with COVID or whatever, and then they get replaced with the next person. It's not what he's doing. He says, hey, do it again. And so he goes and he prays and prays hard and he's praying for them. And he comes back and they're asleep again. Now, again, put yourself in his place. I don't, whatever the situation is, whether it's the pie or... Uh, you've told somebody that, you, that your car is important to you or the cookie jar is important to you or not to do something or to do something. You've told somebody something that's important to you. And once they didn't listen or they listened and they tried and they failed, they fell asleep, they went away, they left it, got stolen, something. And then you come back, you give them another chance and they do it again. I said that most of us would get mad that first time. Whew. I will tell you this. I was talking about my great-grandma earlier. Uh, I was raised by her. And I know that my mom usually listens to this, so she could say amen to this, I'm sure. uh, Because she also had experience being raised by her. If she told me something once, you know, I might get punished after that, but it was mostly okay if I didn't do it, if I failed, if I talked. Not talked to her, but, you know, talked in school or whatever. If she told me a second time, I need to be gone when she comes back because that's not going to go well because I'm talking switches, wooden spoons, whatever. And yet Jesus comes back 
And he says, go ahead and sleep. Now he's not saying it sarcastically, ironically, meanly. He's saying, go ahead and sleep. Almost like, I'm not angry, I'm disappointed. But it's true for him. He's saying, go ahead and sleep. Because I wanted you to have this time with me. I wanted you to have this experience. But I knew that the flesh was weak. I knew that this would happen. And, you know, here's grace. Because that's what he's about. And he's like, I'm going to go pray a third time. But it's time. Well, yes, the betrayal is coming. I'm going to talk about that. But he was already betrayed twice. Because Peter, James, and John were his closest friends, his followers, his students, his family. They couldn't even stay awake for five minutes, ten minutes, half an hour, whatever it was. They couldn't even stay awake. Now, it's not like they're like, hey, Jesus is out of here. Let's fall asleep. It happened. But it's this one thing. And so they betrayed him. They broke his trust. And yet he still loved them. He was still there. Going to the next part. And even as Jesus said this, Judas, one of the twelve disciples, arrived with a crowd of men armed with swords and clubs. They had been sent by the leading priests and elders of the people. The traitor Judas had given them a prearranged signal. You will know which one to arrest when I greet him with a kiss. So Judas came straight to Jesus. Greetings, Rabbi, he exclaimed and gave him this kiss. The kiss. Jesus said, my friend, go ahead and do what you have come for. Uh, I think that sometimes, because we know Jesus so well, hopefully, because every time we're in church, it's about Jesus, because it's supposed to be our lives are supposed to be about Jesus. We've read this story so much. We've seen the passion of the Christ or uh, whatever else we've seen, examples of this, plays, stories on, on animated, uh, acting out in church, whatever. We've seen all of this. We've heard all of this. I think that, maybe it's just me, but I think that sometimes we're like, didn't they all know Jesus? And clearly they didn't, or this wouldn't be happening. But, like, how, why would he need to do this? Couldn't they just be like, oh, there's Jesus, let's arrest him? Or why didn't they just get him when he's in the street talking? Well, a couple answers. Number one, the soldiers that were with him didn't. They didn't care to. Now, you can see that a bunch of different ways, but for one, it's like, if he had been the monster that they said he was, and obviously we know he wasn't, then they would have known who he was. I'm sure they knew who Barabbas was by sight. And yet they didn't, because he didn't hurt anybody. Judas knew who he was. I'll talk about Judas later, but that was a signal because they truly didn't know him. Because he wasn't on their radar, because he wasn't trying to overthrow Rome. Because he wasn't trying to overthrow the priests. Because he was just trying to show people love and to show them a better way and a better life. And he was opening that up to everyone. And so they didn't know him. Now, why wasn't it public? Why wasn't it a place where he's like, hey, I'm Jesus, I'm talking? Because even though, and as we see along the story, most of the people turned against him, when you go at somebody like that, there's the chance that they become the victim in other people's eyes. And the high priests and Judas and the Romans, whoever else wanted him out, the Romans didn't really care. So the high priests... They didn't want any of that sympathy, so they wanted it behind closed doors because then they can control the narrative. Because nobody's going to believe the disciples. But the high priest will say, man, he caused a ruckus and he did this and we had to drag him out of there. And people believe that because people unfortunately believe everything they hear sometimes. 
And the high priest would get on Facebook and they'd post something and nobody would check it on Snopes or check the links. They'd be like, oh, this must be true. Because Jesus wasn't about arguing like that. He told the truth. He lived the truth. And so the high priest, in doing this privately, knew that if they did it publicly, they'd look awful because it was wrong. Because they knew it was wrong. Because if you have to hide what you're doing, and it's not for a surprise party, or it's not to give a gift of love and money to the youth pastor, or it's not something like that that's a secret, and you just have to hide it. You really have to question why you're doing it. And in most cases, it's probably not right. And the high priest, they have to hide it because they know it's not right. Now, quickly on Judas, because I have a theory on him, and it's just my theory. I think that you could argue, I don't know that I would, but I think you could argue he had the most faith in Jesus than all the disciples. Now, he obviously didn't live it, and he didn't follow his word, and he stole, and he did all these bad things, but I think that Judas was too much of a coward to make a revolutionary play at him like he did. I think Judas thought, you know what? I've seen this guy heal people. I've seen him raise the dead. I've seen him just do these incredible things. So I, can get, I have this chance to play both sides. I can get money from the high priests. And I can you know, be on their good side. And then when Jesus escapes, I'll just be like, hey, forgive me. Or when he knocks him down, when he takes over, I'll be like, hey, forgive me, because he's forgiving. And so I think, you know, as we go, Judas kills himself with the weight of what he did. And I think that's why. I think because up until that moment that Jesus died on the cross, Judas thought he's going to get off the cross. And as we're about to see, the disciples all kind of thought that. But Jesus wasn't there to be an overthrower. He was there to completely change everything through love, through truth, through mercy, through grace, through hope. And so he's showing that. And Judas just did not understand because a lot of people, and we see this all the time, a lot of people see everyone else's actions through the lens of what they would do. So if somebody is not very trustworthy, they would listen to you and say something like, well, as soon as they walk away from me, they're going to talk behind my back. And maybe you never would, but they would talk behind your back. So they expect that from everyone. There's a saying, and I don't know that it fully applies, but if you're a carpenter and you have a hammer, everything looks like a nail. And so if you're dishonest, if you're not a nice person, if you're cruel, if you spread gossip, if you hurt people, if you're mean, you expect that from everyone else because you see that. And so, you know, Judas expected this to be a trick. The, the disciples even expected this to be different. But Jesus said, hey, this is a lesson, guys. This is for you. In not fighting, I am fighting for you. Because we fight a different way. Because we live a different way. Because we have a different way. Next part. Then the others grabbed Jesus and arrested him. Uh, but one of, the, one of the men that Jesus pulled, one of the men with Jesus, sorry, pulled out his sword and struck the high priest's slave, cutting off his ear. Put away your sword, Jesus told him. Those who use the sword will die by the sword. Don't you realize that I could ask my father for thousands of angels to protect us and he would send them instantly? But if I did, how would the scriptures be fulfilled that describe what must happen now? Uh, in other part, in other 
excerpts from the gospel that says this is Peter, and so I believe that it was Peter. Peter was so interesting, because I think he's the most like us. I think that he was all in, but he still kind of wanted it his way. And so he would get excited and brash and open and, and hopeful. And then he'd find out that he had it wrong. And Jesus would be like, hey, you got this wrong. And he'd be like, oh, I, I hate myself. But he'd be like, okay, I'm going to learn. I'm going to do it. And he'd mess up again or he'd do it right again. And, you know, he eventually becomes the, the rock of the church. But even though Jesus had said about a million times, we're different. And I'm here for the kingdom of God. It's not an earthly kingdom. And I'm here to show people love and mercy and grace. And I'm here to forgive and to help people find a different way. Peter saw this as what they expected the Messiah to be. Even then, they expected the Messiah to be a warrior king. They thought David, a David type king, where he's going to come in, he's going to slay everybody in Rome, and he's going to take out the high priest, and he's going to establish this perfect kingdom. If you cut to the end of the Bible, near the end, and you look at the thousand-year reign on earth, that's what they expected. They were very early, but that's what they expected. And so Peter's ready to fight. They're all ready to fight because that's what they understand, because that's what a normal person would do, because we would all want to fight in that instance. But again, by not fighting, Jesus is fighting in a better way. He's saying, hey, no, we can't be like the world if we're going to try to save them. We can't answer violence with violence. We can't live by the sword. We can't live by hate. We can't post hate. We can't be like the people that we see in the world that care only about power, that care only about political moves. We can't be like that. For us, the ends do not justify the means. The means are how we get to the end. And so Jesus says all of that and he heals the slave and he's like, take me. And he's right. If he did not want to go, he's not going. He could have snapped his fingers. He could have done anything. But when was the last time somebody asked him to, you know, react like that to save himself? It was the devil when he tried to tempt him. And so inadvertently, Peter's kind of acting like that again. And yet, Jesus still forgave him. Jesus still loved him. And it's another betrayal. Judas betrayed him. The disciples had just betrayed him by falling asleep. And in a way, even though Peter had the best of intentions, how often do we have the best of intentions? Even though Peter had the best of intentions, he betrayed what Jesus stood for again. Over and over and over in this story, for all the love Jesus gave, his trust was spit on. If he showed trust in someone, and he did, they broke that. And yet, he forgave them. He loved them. He knew their hearts. And he knew what he was doing was for them. And yet, that's who we are sometimes. But this was so we could be better. Last part of the scripture. Then Jesus said to the crowd, Am I some dangerous revolutionary that you come with swords and clubs to arrest me? Why didn't you arrest me in the temple? I was there teaching every day. But this is all happening to fulfill the words of the prophets as recorded in the scriptures. At that point, all the disciples deserted him and fled. And there you have another betrayal. And I would love to be 
able to know what the soldiers were thinking at this point? Because I think some of them would say, I was just doing my job. And maybe they were. Some of them probably were, they maybe knew who he was or they'd heard stories. And so they kind of were pro-Jesus, but not enough to really stand out, to step up. Because it was a scary time. Rome was not a great place. Unless you were in charge of them. Some of them had no idea who he was. And so they come with weapons ready for a fight. And with every second that he doesn't fight, they're like, are, are we on the right side? Are, are we doing the right thing? And then he said that. He's like, you could have gotten me at any point. And I think this really hit Judas. We don't know because it doesn't say, but I think it really hit him. Because he's like, oh, man, what have I done? And for the soldiers, I think some of them are like, well, he's not, he's not bad. And yet, you know, they go through with it and Jesus very clearly says, hey, this is how it's supposed to be. Betrayal. Broken trust. Over and over and over again. And this is from the people that he loved, that loved him. He loved everybody. From the people that loved him. From his disciples, from his closest people. Including Judas, of whom he washed the feet along with the other disciples. He showed nothing but love to everybody. But these are the people who were with him every day. And who knew the inner workings of his grace, of his love, of his mercy. Even of his plan. And they betrayed him. They broke his trust. They became like the world. Yet he still went on. I think again going back to how most of us would react. Many of us would be like, you know what? I've done so much for you. And I just gave you chance after chance after chance. I'm just, we're done. And walked away. Walked out of it right there. And nobody could have stopped him. But he saw me. And he saw you. And he saw future generations and past generations and everyone whether you like them or not he saw them and he said I love all of you and I'm going to give you this chance please take it but even before the cross he dies several times right here because everything is for other people and yet nothing no love is shown to him. And so he goes off and he says, hey, this is how it has to be. So graceful, so merciful. And the disciples run away. And it was the smart play because they weren't supposed to fight, so they probably would have gotten arrested too. And they're scared, they run. Another betrayal. When we talk about the crucifixion, we talk about the crucifixion. When we talk about the resurrection, we talk about the resurrection. But his entire life was a sacrifice for us. And over and over and over again, he showed us a better way to live. And here we are today. Without getting into specifics, over the last couple of years, over the last couple of decades, over the last couple of centuries, however far you want to go back, how often have we broken Jesus' trust? in the way that we've reacted to certain things, in the way that we've treated other people, in the way that we've shown judgment over love. And again, truth is truth, and, and, and we have to be different. 
we have to be different. We have to love. We have to show what Jesus shows here. Forgiveness, grace, love, mercy, hope, honor. All of these things that we're called to do. And all of these things that sometimes we're too tired to do. Sometimes we're too angry to do. Sometimes we're too sad to do. Well, Jesus died so we could do them. This series is about what he has done for us. And yeah, it's about these couple days of, of just heartbreak and, and pain and, and death, but it's about everything he's done for us and everything he's given us. And we have this chance. Let's say everything before this, before this moment is the beginning. We have this chance to be different. The world is starting to restart again in some ways. We're going to be around people again more and more, probably. We're going to have more opportunities in some ways, less than others. We have this chance, whether you're a teen, a parent, a grandparent, a great-grandparent, a baby, I don't know why you're watching this. We have this chance to grow up in Him and to do better to love better, to hope better, to be like he was in this passage, to show forgiveness, to show love, to show honor, to live truth, but to do it like him. That's why we're here. And that's why we are going to work together to get to this point, because together is how we can be more like him. That's all I got.